Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now, let's join the service already in progress. Thank you so much for your faithfulness and your goodness in our life. Uh, Lord, the journey that we have been on recently as a church and uh, a community and a uh, nation, the world, um, it, it has definitely been a, a season of learning how to trust and take baby steps again in some areas of faith. And I just thank you for people that are willing to step out to the next level of what you have for their life. And Lord, teach us to need you more than anything in the world. I pray today uh, through this message that hope would be revealed. Your word says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So when we get into your word, God, our faith is built. I pray supernaturally that faith is built in this room. Faith is built by everyone that is watching online. Lord, I pray miracles would happen no matter who's listening. They have the faith to believe that you would cause miracles to take place in people's lives so that they would know that you are for them, God. And we pray that our lives will be changed today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So to really do a major recap, I'm going to ask that you go back and watch uh, this series because we put a lot into it. Each week I do some level of recap of our text in in Galatians. But the bottom line is that an orchard is uh, a piece of land that's got fruit trees on it. And our life is supposed to look like an orchard. God has planted seed in us that he expects fruit to be uh, evident in our life. So if you plant an apple tree in your yard and you go out and after you know a year there's no apples and after two years there's no apples and after three years no apples well you got to cut down the tree because there's no fruit and in the same kind of way God expects someone that is healthy and someone that is nourishing in the things of God to produce fruit you say well are you saying that God is going to cut me down if I don't produce fruit well there's actually a parable in the Bible where that's exactly what is suggested but Jesus is sort of a character in the story that says give me some time to nurture this don't cut this down yet give me some time so I just think that if we're at a place in our lives where we're Christians and we've been living for God but we're not seeing the kind of fruit that is being described I believe God is so patient toward us I mean the Bible says that he's long-suffering and patient toward us not wanting that anyone would perish so he gives us a chance to wake up and to get back on track so if you're here today and you're not living this way it's okay don't get discouraged just ask God to help you today ask God to help you break out of what you're in right now and get on to the next level of what he's called you to do but the bottom line is Galatians 5 where we find all of these passages about an orchard and the fruit of the spirit it's a place that starts out with kind of an essay on freedom Okay, and what it does is it says that some Christians that got saved went back to the old life of circumcision and doing things according to the law and to the book. And they thought that they could find salvation by doing everything perfectly. And Paul says, don't fall for that trap. I grew up in a kind of organization where, you know, you weren't allowed to do this. You weren't allowed. You couldn't go to the movies. You couldn't go swimming. You know, you couldn't wear makeup. Uh, and I said weird because most of the women that told other women they weren't allowed to wear makeup, they probably needed some makeup. I'll be honest with you. Uh, but you couldn't do this and you couldn't do that. It's all about what you couldn't do. And so that is sort of a legalistic lifestyle uh, that, that can push us down a road of believing that we have the capacity or ability to earn God's favor in our life. So then after he talks about the danger of legalism, He says, now let's swing over here on the other side and find out what happens 
when we also are living the wrong way, we get into lawlessness. So that's just basically anything goes. There are people out there in this world that believe they can do anything they want to do and they're fine. There's actually Christians that believe they can do anything they want to be fine. No consequence. I'm just covered in grace, blah, blah, blah. And what Paul is saying is that both of these things are wrong. Uh, legalism is wrong. Lawlessness is wrong. They're both on an incorrect plane in what he is saying. But rather than live this way, elevate your life. Go to a higher level. Anybody remember that old skit that used to say, a whole nother level? That's, that's what we need to do. We need to literally go to a whole nother level. We need to go above that and start living a spirit life. And a spirit life is neither legalism nor lawless. It's freedom. It's a life of freedom, and that life of freedom produces fruit that brings change in our lives and, more importantly, brings change to the life of every person we're around. Don't you want to be a delight to the people that you're around? Do you, do you, have you ever met someone that when they walk in the room, you may not do it physically, but you just kind of, if you could physically do what you're feeling inside, you go, Great. You, you, you know that for, they're so, either they're so negative or just they're constantly doing something. But have you ever seen it oh, like, oh my gosh, look who just walked in. And like someone comes in and they just are overflowing with great things that God has done in their life. They're just a joy to be around. I believe that's what it's like to be around Jesus. I believe wherever Jesus went, people go, oh my gosh, Jesus just walked in the room. And I think that we are supposed to live Christ-like lives so that when we walk in the room, it elevates the room. I believe that we're hope is supposed to walk in the room. You know what? That's why this church is called City of Life. City of Life, what is it? It's where hope lives. Because, it, and that can be in San Juan, Puerto Rico. It could be in Kissimmee. A city of life is any place where hope lives. And what is hope? It is the power of Jesus because he is the God of hope. So that's what living life according to the fruit of the Spirit is. And he says, you know, Paul says, I say walk by the Spirit. This is his solution. Walk by the Spirit and you, not, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. I can't even read today. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. He, he says against these things there's no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep step with the Spirit. I'm going to briefly touch on the things that we've already gone over. Number one would be love. And that word in the Greek is agape. And it's to serve someone for their good and intrinsic value, not the value they bring you. It's to, it's to give to people based on the value that God sees in them, not the value that you see in them. That's what true love is. True love, true godly love is not conditional. It is not, if you do this for me, then I'm going to treat you well. But if you don't do this for me, then I'm not going to treat you well. No, God treats us well in spite of our faults. God loves us. He loved us on our worst day. So the opposite of love is fear or self-protection and abusing people. And there's a counterfeit love that's out there that would be like selfish affection. It's like rescuing someone, but really you're rescuing yourself. You're attracted not to a person, but to how people make you feel about yourself. That's the counterfeit love. Is you're, not, you're not attracted to the person, you're attracted to the way you feel when you're with the person. See, that's the fake kind of love. So I'd, I'd encourage you, go back, check out the week that we did on love. Joy is the Greek word chara. 
and that's delight in God and his salvation for sheer beauty and worth of who he is. It's literally waking up and having joy. You know what? You can have joy when you just got the worst news of your life. And, and, and it's from, the origin is from God. It is not from us. And the opposite of joy is hopelessness or despair. And if you're caught up in despair or you feel there's a hopeless situation in your life, you need joy. You need the power of the Holy Spirit to produce that spiritual joy in your life. And there is a counterfeit joy, and that's, that's the kind of joy or excitement that comes from the blessings, not the blesser. See, that's the fake kind of joy is when we get caught up in the blessings and not the blesser. True joy comes from the blesser, amen? And you know what I love about that? Is that means I can rejoice when I get the blessings because I can say, thank you so much. Or I can rejoice when I'm waiting for the blessings. I can say, hey, I still rejoice in you because you're the one that gives the blessings. Somebody better say amen in church today. Okay, so uh, the, the next one is peace. That is the, the, the Greek word Irene. That's confidence and rest in the wisdom and sovereignty of God more than your own. Also, I love that the, the, the word shalom that we use when I went over this in, in the, the teaching really is, is less about the absence of problems and more about the presence of wholeness in your spirit. See, that's what real peace is. Real peace is being whole in your spirit. That's what true shalom is spiritually, is when we know that it's gonna be okay. I'm fine. In the middle of these terrible circumstances, my soul is whole in God. That's where true peace comes up. And and the opposite of it is anxiety and worry. And and one of the ways that you could tell this might be an area you need help on is is just if if you're laying in bed at night, just going over all these scenarios and you're going, okay, well, okay, obviously, you know, I, I, I cough, so I got COVID, and, and obviously I've got three weeks to live. I'm gonna be on a ventilator, uh, you know, next Monday is when I go on ventilator, so uh, I haven't even really done a will. What are we gonna do? Who's gonna take over my business? And it's like, can I just tell you, that's, that's called anxiety and fear. And, and when, we, when we start jumping into this kind of mentality, what we're lacking is peace and, and security and wholeness of who God is. And what wholeness says is, I don't care what I go through, I'm gonna be okay. I'm gonna be fine because God has got me. I am covered with peace. I'm in shalom. I'm living in shalom in my life. And you know, you sit there and in that same anxiety, oh, I got the hallelujah wall. What's up, hallelujah wall? How y'all feeling up there today? Good to see you. Amen, love y'all. See, but, but what happens is, when we lose that peace, we get caught up in that whole life of anxiety. We're just bounced from problem to problem. Live in peace today. Go back. I really like the message that I did on peace. Uh, then we go to patience. Uh, I'm not going to talk about this because I don't have it. Let's skip it. Uh, let's go to kind. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. Uh, patience is <laughs> the ability to take trouble from others or life without blowing up. I think one of the ways you could test your patience is how long you're willing to sit at a left uh, arrow uh, when it's green, if, when someone's in front of you and it's green, how long it takes you to honk the horn at the person who you know is texting. You know they're texting. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you just know. You see them. You, their head is down. It's how long. If it's, so let's put a quantitative number on this. If it's, um, if you give them five seconds or more, uh, if you give them five seconds or more, 
you're a Christian. Okay, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> if it's five seconds or less, you need to come to Blink next time. You need to walk up here. You need to read the Bible cover to cover. But I'm finding myself these days, boy, I just, I, I just want to, it's like every person that gets in front of me, I got it. But I go, one, 1,000, Jesus loves me. Two, 1,000, Jesus loves me. Three, 1,000. So if you get to five, you're good. <laughs> but patience is a, a variety of things. It's just kind of kind of the, the distance between you and your limits. You, you could tell it when people are just not listening or you've said something two or three times, how quickly you elevate and raise your voice and you get offended and things like that. These are things that as, as believers, we, we gotta make sure that we're living with patience. And, um, and, and then I believe that patience translates over into the next one, uh, which is kindness. And I talked about kindness. I go back and listen to that one too. It's practical kindness uh, with vulnerability uh, out of deep inner security. And it means I could be tough. I could be all these other things, but I'm choosing to, to show God's love through my kindness. And look at someone next to you, just say, be nice. Yeah, that's, that's sort of the point. Uh, then, then goodness uh, is honesty or transparency. Uh, being, in, being the same in one situation and another. Okay, now I'm gonna move on today. Here's the ones I'm gonna focus on. I got 16 minutes and 35 seconds for three really important ones. Okay, so here we go. The, the first one today, I'm gonna talk about faithfulness. I'm gonna talk about gentleness and I'm gonna talk about self-control, amen? So uh, the word faithfulness in the Greek is uh, pistis. And that definition means loyalty or courage to be principle driven, committed and utterly reliable to one's word. Okay, so this is an evidence that the Holy Spirit is living in us when we are faithful. Okay, we're faithful. The opposite of faithfulness is a fair weather friend or, or, a, or just a fair weather person in general who's flighty, who is unreliable. Okay, so let's think about this for a second. Probably the most famous verse that I can think of on, on faithfulness is, is in the parable of the, of the bags of gold where the master is leaving and he entrusts five bags of gold to one person, two bags of gold to a person and one bag of gold to a person. The Bible says, according to their abilities. So why he chose five, why he chose two, why he chose one has nothing to do with you. It's got nothing to do with me. It's got nothing to do with the guy that he gave it to it. The dude chose it for his own reasons. It says, according to his own abilities. Okay, so what happens? He goes off on a journey. He comes back. He talks to the guy who had five. He said, what'd you do with my money? He said, I, I doubled it. And he says, what? Well done, my good and what? Faithful servant. He said, you have been faithful over a few things and now I'm gonna make you ruler over many. That's what he says to the guy with five. Okay, then he goes to the guy with two. What'd you do with my money? I doubled it. What does he say? The same exact thing. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things and now I will make you ruler over many. Then he goes to the guy who had one. He says, what'd you do with my money? I buried it. And I mean, he just, go, he, this, this is not a good response. He basically says, cast this dude out. Don't want anything to do with him. As a matter of fact, take the money that he had and not give it to him because he needs it. Give it to the guy who had five. He says, give it to the guy who showed the most increase according to his ability. I told him I was gonna make him ruler over many. He did the most. So I'm gonna give him the most. I'm gonna give him nothing and I'm gonna kick him out of the kingdom. That was actually the ultimate destination of what happened to the person who was unfaithful. So what does that word, if that's the most quoted verse on faithfulness, well done my good and faithful servant. 
then what does faithfulness really mean according to the Bible? Faithfulness means the ability for God to look at us and be able to expect us to do good things with the gifts that he has given us. It's not about us making excuses on what gifts we don't have. It's not about us finding out the logic as to why can I do this, but he can do that and he's better or she is more you know, equipped to do this. And I don't understand, I'm so mad about that. God is really not concerned with that. God is saying, you have what you have, now do something with it. You have been given what you have been given, now produce. And you know, part of faithfulness is just showing up. It's showing up and doing whatever it said according to their abilities. It's showing up and doing things to the best of your ability. Come on, say, say the best of my ability with me. The best of my ability. That is what faithfulness is about. It's one of the most, are you reliable? This scripture teaches us that faithfulness is about reliability. Can you be counted on? Can you be counted on in everything? If you say you're going to do something, do you show up when you say you're going to do it? Let's meet at five o'clock. Well, if I'm there at 515 and you're not there, is that reliable? If you say that you're going to be at someone's party to help set up for the party, and every time you make a commitment like that, you've always got, I'm so sorry, my, my brother borrowed my car, did put gas in it, and, 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 and now, now I can't go, I'm, I'm gonna have to cancel this. That's, you, you could say whatever you want to about the excuses and the things that we tell ourselves to not have to be faithful according to what the Bible calls faithfulness, but at the end of the day, you might just wanna call yourself unreliable because that's the truth. It's reliability. It's God being able to look at us and say, that is Jeff. I have given him a certain number of skill sets and I expect him to produce with those things. I expect him to produce for the kingdom with those things. I don't get really any extra credit for doing what I was made to do, do I? No, I get, what do I get? I get a commendation when I stand before my God and it's gonna be the most wonderful commendation. I hope that I hear it someday for him to just say, well done my good and faithful servant. You did what I expected you to do, amen? Come on, let's give the Lord a praise. See, spiritual faithfulness, this is probably gonna get people upset. Spiritual faithfulness is fueled by honor. It's not fueled by personal satisfaction. It's fueled by honor. And honor is God, I said I'm going to do something and I'm going to do it. See, we, we mess that up because a lot of times in, in, in faithfulness, we get thrown off because spiritual faithfulness is not detoured by offense. See, when people are unfaithful, many times they're not faithful. Oh, well, last time I, I went and did this or did that, no one said thank you. Or last time I did this or that, I didn't get, I didn't get recognized, blah, blah, blah. I mean, we just go down these roads where we, we connect our faithfulness to our personal satisfaction. The fruit of faithfulness that is produced by the Holy Spirit has nothing to do with personal satisfaction. It's got to do with heavenly satisfaction. It's, it's where the Bible says, do everything you do as unto the Lord, not unto men. We do what we do for God because we know we're not serving just a man, we're serving God. And we're able to express our faithful, come on, we're able to express our faithfulness through our reliability. Spiritual faithfulness means exercising trustworthy behavior over a long period of time. That's not fun. 
I mean, there's three amens on that. Why? Because it's hard to say amen to something when it says you're being judged over a long period of time. It's wonderful. I mean, I, I, you know, I've got some friends that are here today. I'm looking at one right now, a buddy of mine who's, who's come to this church for over 25, 30 years. And what's hilarious is we've had dinner before and sat and talked. And he said, you know, I, I love you. You're a great pastor. I've, never, I've not agreed with everything that you've done over the years. Uh, I, I've not agreed with everything you've said over the years. But I love you. I'm committed to you. And I'm here. And you know what? You guys never missed a service. Never missed a service. That's called faith. That, that kind of reminds me. It kind of reminds me of, of the way we feel about God. We don't always have to agree with what God is doing in our life. We don't always have to understand everything God says, but we have to show up every day. And we got to make sure that we're living the life that he's called us to live. That is called faithfulness. And that's what I want to be in my life. Okay, so uh, God, by the way, God is faithful. Deuteronomy 32, if we, if we are faithful, we're just model, he's modeling to us what we should do and we're trying to be like him. It says, ascribe greatness to God. The rock, his work is perfect. All his ways are just a God of faithfulness. Amen? He's faithful. Psalm 25 says, all the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful toward those who keep the demands of his covenant. Psalm 33, 4 says, for the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8. Paul says, I am already being poured out. He's at the end of his life, like a drink offering. And the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. What is he saying? He said, I've been faithful. I have done everything that I can, I ha, I'm able to do. Now I'm at the end of my life and I'm ready for my reward because I know that I have been faithful. So can we get down with faithfulness today? Amen. So let's move on to the next one. We've got two more. Uh, the next one is gentleness and it's the Greek word proutus. And it could be interchangeable with humility, this kind of gentleness. And it's mildness, it's meekness, it's self-forgetfulness. And, and I think that some of these, you say, well, that reminds me of kindness. Good, let them remind you of one another. Uh, integrate them together uh, because they're supposed to use, be used not uh, opposing one another, but in conjunction and in harmony with one another so that we're complete, the complete work that God wants us to be. Remember, I told you that, that the spiritual fruits in our life are gradual, they're inevitable, but they're also symmetrical. They should be growing in conjunction with one another at the same time. And gentleness, the, the opposite of gentleness is superiority. It's brashness. It's coming across hard in what you say and what you do. But I mean, by the way, if you end a lot of sentences with, I'm just saying, you might need to work on your gentleness. It's almost impossible to be gentle with an I'm just saying mentality. Uh, Isaiah 40, 11, it says, he tends his flock like a shepherd. This is God we're talking about. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. We're talking about the most powerful being in the universe who chooses to express himself in gentleness. God is gentle. Psalm 23, two and three says, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet, beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. That's just so peaceful. So much gentleness in the way God lead, he chooses to lead us with kindness and with gentleness. Jesus says in Matthew, in Matthew 11, 28 and 29, he says, come to me, all you are, who are weary and burdened, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me for I'm gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Matthew 26, 
52 and 54 shows us that this kind of gentleness that Jesus possessed, this meekness. Remember, meekness and gentleness is not weakness. It's great strength under control. That's what meekness really is all about. What Jesus is essentially saying here in Matthew 26, he says, when they come from in the garden, he says, put your sword back in its place. Everybody who draws the sword will die by the sword. He said, do you think I can't call on my father? And he'll put at my disposal 12 legions of angels. A legion in Rome was 6,000 soldiers. So 12 is 72,000 angels. I could have 72,000 angels right now if I wanted to. But put your sword away. I'm going to come with you out of gentleness because that's who I am. That's, who, that's how I choose to live my life. So, you know, when we start thinking about control, the, uh, the Bugatti Chiron is an is a exotic sports car. It's crazy. It's got 1,578 horsepower. Uh, it goes 0 to 60 in 2.4 seconds. That's, that's totally nuts right there. It's, uh, it goes 304 miles per hour. All of that power means absolutely nothing if it doesn't have a steering wheel and if it doesn't have tires that give it control on the ground. See, you can have all the power in the world, but yet if you have no control, if you can't express it through gentleness, if you can't express it in a way that, that is effective, it's just reckless and it's destructive and dangerous. Amen? Amen. Come on, we can give the Lord a praise. Come on online. You better type up on there today. Say, that man's preaching up in there. Ephesians 4, 15 teaches us a key about this principle. It says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. I know there are people who just feel like it is so, so virtuous to tell it like it is. Well, what, why are we so proud of that? Why are people so proud of it that they, they tell it like it is if that means I don't care who gets hurt along the way? See, we, have, we, we should have the ability to want to speak the truth. It says speak the truth. That's telling it like it is. But it doesn't just tell you what to say. It tells you how to say it. It says speak the truth, what? In love. Speak the truth in in love. John 1:14 says the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. I'm going to tell you something, nobody gives a darn about your truth if you ain't got no grace. Nobody cares about your truth if it's not being expressed through grace. We have to learn if we're ever going to have the spiritual fruit of gentleness in our life. We have to learn how to live in grace, live full of love, express ourselves in a way that is honest and real, real enough to confront, real enough to address, but to do it with kindness. Let me give you two examples. Do you remember when Jesus met the Samaritan woman at the well? And she started telling him, oh, well, this is, you know, we worship on this mountain and this is the way we worship. And someday, someday when you know, the son of man comes back, he's gonna rescue us from all this. He's like, yeah, that's me. <laughs> I love that. I mean, he didn't say that exactly, but that's pretty much what he was saying. He's, he's going, yeah, that's, that's me. He was so gentle and kind. He could have gone, let me tell you something about the son of man, okay? Uh, do you know what it took for me to get here? No, no, he didn't do that. No, he, he said, hey, that's me. And she's like, well, you know, she, she refers to her husband. And he's like, yeah, yeah. He's like, that's really not, 
your husband necessarily, you've had five husbands and then the one you're with right now is not even your husband. She's like, I perceive that you're a prophet. And she's right, yeah, he is a prophet. And, and, and so the way that he interacted, he was unloading truth, tons of truth that she needed, but wasn't he doing it in a sweet way? Wasn't he doing it in a kind way? There's another woman, uh, she's called the Syrophoenician. Uh, she was from Syria and she was totally a Gentile. And I feel like this is one of the most misrepresented stories. I've heard people say this is an instance of Jesus being rude or mean, but I don't think the people that are saying that know Jesus very well. They haven't read the other stories of the way he treats people. We know how he treats ladies. We know how he treats people. We know that with, with the woman caught, caught in adultery, he said, hey, where are your accusers? Oh man, getting emotional, wow. These people about to throw rocks. He says, whoever's without sin, let them throw the first stone. And everyone drops their rocks and walks away. And he goes, hey, where, you know, where is everybody? That's like, a, that's like a, almost a fun way to kind of address a really weird situation. It's sweet. It really is, there's no other word for it. He's like, where is everybody? I don't get it. I thought, I thought these people were gonna kill you. It's, it's like a joke. And, and he goes, oh, oh, they're gone? Okay, let me just tell you something. I'm not gonna condemn you either. The one who could is not going to. The one who had the authority and the right to is not going to. So we see Jesus choosing, and then he tells her more truth. He says, now, get up from where you are, go and sin no more. So he doesn't, he doesn't play. He's going, oh yeah, you're in sin. It's a fact you're in sin. But I just said, I'm not judging you. What I'm doing is encouraging you. Step into the life that God has called you to live. Step into that spirit life. So we see it's possible to convey truth in such a loving way that it, it addresses all the hurt and the brokenness and it provides hope. This Syrophoenician woman in this story, Mark 7, it's really, I love this story. It says that he went to the vicinity of Tyre and he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he couldn't keep his presence secret. So this woman who is, Jews and Gentiles do not get along at all. There's hatred, all these sayings about I mean, major racism that was going on in the culture. Jews are not allowed to even communicate at all with Gentiles. It's just totally taboo. Could totally spoil your reputation if you even talked with a Gentile. It says, and this woman, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet and she was Greek. So she was, Jesus was not supposed to be talking to her. And she begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her. And Jesus said, first, let the children eat all they want. So he's referring to Jews. So he is obviously pointing out their racial differences. He's pointing out their, their cultural differences. We're not supposed to be talking to each other. He's saying, if you want a blessing, should, shouldn't I be blessing the Jewish people first? He says, First, let the children eat all they want. Now here's where people get offended. And he says, for it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Okay, so here's where people miss it is they think Jesus was saying, I think you're a dog. No, he's saying our cultures dislike each other so much that that's what people would say is why, bless, why get, throw the children's food to the dogs? So he's kind of doing what he did with this other lady. Like, where are your accusers? He's going, I'm not supposed to be talking to you. I thought, I thought the blessings were just for God's people, not the dogs, kind of mimicking what culture would say. And I love this about him because she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And Jesus goes, ooh, I like you. 
He goes, I like you. He goes, exactly. You get my spirit. You get my spirit. He said, now go home. Your daughter's fine. So this woman got her miracle. So Jesus was able to show his gentleness and his kindness through humor. He really was being funny and just sort of putting it out there, testing her. Is she gonna get offended? What's she gonna do? Because if she does, she's gonna end up missing her blessing. But if she gets me, she gets my heart here where I'm coming from, she's gonna get the biggest miracle you could ever imagine. Last one, I'm a little bit over, but do you guys want me to finish or do you want me to stretch it out one more week? I know, you want me to finish it. <laughs> me too. The last one is self-control. Self-control, and this is good, it's the ability to choose the important thing over the urgent thing. It's the ability to choose the important thing over the urgent thing. And, and I, I hope you dig down into that because that's pretty powerful. It's, it's, it's really overindulgence is the opposite of self-control. And Galatians 5, and we've done this, I mean, go back and, and just listen to the beginning. We go through all the things that the Bible says is loss of self-control from loveless, cheap sex, uh, a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, grabs for happiness, trinket gods, all these different things. When we have the Holy Spirit in our life, we have the ability to choose what's important over whatever is urgent in terms of what need we feel we need to fill at any particular moment. Be careful if you're overindulgent in anything. It doesn't matter what it is. I don't care if it's sex, food, uh, social media, talking on your phone too much, playing video games, playing sports too much, if you work out too much, if you do anything too much, it's overindulgence. You're giving yourself too much to. I think it's funny that people can sit on social media for the 10th hour in a row, looking at someone that is drinking and, 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 and they're judgmental over them. They're eating an entire chocolate cake by themselves while on social media for 10 hours, looking at someone that's out drinking, say, look at them, they're nothing but an alcoholic. Well, why don't you turn that off for a second and start looking at your own life. Overindulgence is the opposite of self-control. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, I have the right to do anything. He said, but just because I have the right doesn't mean that it's good for me. This is not about whether you have the right to do this or right to do that. Is it beneficial for you? Is it edifying for you? I mean, James 3 tells us that no man can tame the tongue. I don't care who you are. We need to learn self-control. In what way? To remember what's important before what's urgent. You feel the urgency to, to snap off and say something because you don't like what's being said. But you have to remember what's important. What's important? Peace. What's important? Being edifying, producing fruit in our life. Self-control sometimes manifests itself in, in extreme ways. Joseph was in Potiphar's house. He was put over all of Potiphar's house and Potter's cougar wife starts cougaring on Joseph. She starts trying to have sex with this dude all the time. She's trying to hit him up, hang out with me, hang out with me, and he won't do it. And one day, she's so serious about it, she grabs him like, and he, he goes, well, hold on. He goes, hold up, how am I supposed to do this? He goes, my, my master has given me control over this whole house. I'm able to do anything, have anything I want except for you, and now you're wanting me to be with you? I can't do that because that's against him and it's against God. And she's like, I don't care. Come here, baby. And she grabs his shirt. He goes, ah! And he runs and, and his, he leaves his cloak in her hands. So he runs off with no clothes on. Except the clothes she still holds. She's like, I'll be here when you get back. He's like, never mind. 
He is gone. He runs. What's he demonstrating? Self-control. Self-control. And he gave some logic there. He said, I demonstrate self-control because I don't want to hurt people, Potiphar, and I don't want to hurt God. I have to remember what's important over what is urgent. It's overindulgence. So let's learn how to have self-control in our life. And I'm gonna close by saying this. Living out the fruit of the spirit is saying no to the flesh. As a follower of Jesus, there are places I shouldn't go, things I shouldn't look at, relationships I shouldn't play with, words I should not allow to pass my lips, conversations I should not join in on, feelings I ought to confront, reject, and suppress, desires I should not give into, attitudes toward others that I should not hold. So it is saying no. Can I tell you something? More importantly than saying no, it's saying yes to the Holy Spirit. Philippians 4, 6 says, don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of wholeness, God's wholeness, everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. He says, do your best by filling your minds and meditations on things that are true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not things to curse. Put into practice what you've learned from me, what you heard and saw and realized, do that. And God who makes everything work together will work you into his most excellent harmonies. See, when your life is focused on doing what's right, you don't have time to do what's wrong. Let's let the fruit of the Spirit drive us in everything we do. We started with Galatians 5 at the beginning of this series in, in 2012. And we're gonna end right now in 2020. Galatians 5, 25 says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. That's typical Paul, a strong statement followed by a command. What does he say? He says, since we live by the Spirit, that's the statement, we live in the Spirit, period. If you're a Christian, you live in the Spirit. He says, so since we live in the Spirit, let's walk in the Spirit. That means we're already living in the Spirit, whether you're doing a good job or not. He's saying, now let's keep in step and march every day with the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit, everything I do, walking in the ways of God in everything I do. Can I get an amen from someone here today? Amen. Let's give the Lord a praise. Come on, give him a praise online. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I want you to be whole. I want you to be complete in everything you do. In everything you do. If you're struggling with these things and these things kind of pop you a little bit, I understand that. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good when I'm reading the Bible and studying for this stuff and I'm going, ah, that hurts. But it feels good. It doesn't feel good, but it does feel good. It feels good in that I know that God loves me and has a plan for my life that's bigger than what I see for myself. And that's what we aspire to do is to be the orchard that God has intended us to be, how to cultivate a life of spiritual growth. growth. And I pray that's what uh, is gonna happen for you and your family. Amen. Could you bow your heads and close your eyes? Uh, if you're online watching, please bow your heads as well. I'm just gonna make a petition today. If you're here and you need Jesus in your life, you don't know the Lord, you're, you're, you're far away from God. Uh, you don't sense his presence in your life. Maybe you have run from him. Or, or walked out of his favor in some way, or been trying to distance yourself from him, or maybe you've just never known him. I just wanna tell you, Jesus loves you today. He cares for you today. He gave his very life for you so that you could have eternal salvation by putting your faith in him. And if you know that you need him today, you'll know it in your heart. And it's the person of the Holy Spirit that tells you you need him. It's not me, it's not this music behind me. It's not the lighting or the, 
the graphics or anything else like that. If you know that you need Jesus, it's the Holy Spirit that's telling you in your heart. We don't have the ability to create that in ourselves. It's only him that can do that. So if that's you today and you know you need Jesus, I'm gonna ask you all over this room right now, nobody looking around to just lift your hand all over this building. Hands going up already all over the place. If you're online, would you lift your hand or in the chat rooms type, I need Jesus or type I'm lifting my hand so we know. Multiple, multiple hands throughout this room. Praise God, thank you, Lord. For every person with your hand lifted online and in this room, I'm gonna pray right now. I'm gonna ask you to repeat this with me out loud. Say, I ask you, Lord Jesus, to forgive me of my sins. I'm turning away from the old life, walking into a brand new life with you, Lord. Fill me with the power of the Holy Spirit. Enable me to live out the fruit of the Spirit in everything I do so that my life is a blessing to others. And someday I will hear those words, the greatest words, well done, my good and faithful servant. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, could we give God one great praise? Love you so much. This concludes the teaching. If you'd like to support what God is doing here at City of Life, click on the Give button at www.col.tv or text a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. We hope you'll join us again.